welcome to The Truth in This Art. Thank you for taking some time to listen to these conversations at the intersection of arts, culture, and community. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today I am thrilled to introduce my next guests, resident dramaturge and associate director at the Shakespeare Theater Company in Washington, D.C. My guest brings a distinguished career spanning Broadway and various academic institutions. Joining my guest is a world-renowned multi-hyphenate artist and the director of equity and belonging at the Shakespeare Theater Company in Washington, D.C. They are known for making contributions, significant ones, in uh, teaching uh, Black theater history and directing groundbreaking productions. Please welcome Dr. Drew Lichtenberg and Leonie Noble. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Drew, I think you're muted. Hi, Rob. I was going to say, hi, Rob. Thanks for having us. Hi, Leah Day. Thank you. Thank you both for coming on. And, you know, I'm glad we were able to chat a little bit before we got into recording in earnest. Um, there's a lot of value, even if it's the sort of po- the, the pre sort of green room talk, being able to connect a little bit just to say, like, I'm not just some dude with questions I want y'all to answer. But it's like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm curious. So. Be, before we get into sort of the the deeper conversation in, within this podcast, um, and it's in the you know pre, but I like to give folks the space because I think it's more value in having folks introduce who they are versus I can say it, it's a cut and paste. You know, and, you know, people will say, Rob, introduce yourself. I'm like, I'm a podcast wizard. And it's like, that's not how I would introduce you. So I want to give both of you the space to um, introduce yourselves, and then we can just start going into the deeper conversation. So, Drew, if you'd like to start. Um... Sure. Yeah. So my name is uh, I'm Dr. Drew Lichtenberg. Uh, I'm an associate director at Shakespeare Theatre Company in Washington, D.C. I've been in residence here since 2011, so it's been a, it's been a while. I'm a proud resident of the District of Columbia. And I've also worked at, uh, I've worked on Broadway. I've worked at the National Theater in London. I've published two books uh, I've written for the New York Times. It's it's a great job in the sense that I have my home base here in DC and I've worked on so many productions here of the first class of the highest caliber, but I've also been able to go work at other places um, in the theater universe. Thank you. Love that theater universe. Um, <laughs> Yes, uh, Leonie Noble. I am the Director of Equity and Belonging at Shakespeare Theatre Company. I'm also part of senior staff and the artistic team alongside Drew. Um, yes, and I, and I am also, uh, I like to say shifter. I like the word shifter. That's the, okay. on my LinkedIn page. It says shifter. Uh, <laughs> I like to shift things through the art. So if that's through choreography, through directing, through music, through curating, um, through creating policies, through, you know, I, I like to cause a shift. And yes, so I'll say shifter in addition to um, what I do at Shakespeare Theatre Company. And you have, Leonie, you have shifted lots of things since we've been working together at STC. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I like that. Multi-hyphenate shifter, you know, it, you know, it, like I said, I wouldn't have gotten that. And I think that's why it's, it's important. I wouldn't have had shifter in my, my intro. It's not a, it's not a thing. Um, but now I know. Um, so in, 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 in sort of, we're going to kind of like ping pong, it'll have you, um, with, with the questions. Um, so I'd like to go go back into the beginning because I think that there are some of those those things. Ironically, I kind of added this question after speaking with a playwright, you know, about sort of where were one of those early moments in this sort of podcast journey for you. And I was like, I was an MC back in the day. I was like five. I'm terrified of the stage now, but I was like five and being able to, you know, be an MC for this like school production. I feel like we were singing Lean on Me or something. But I went back almost 40 years to this this sort of age and she pulled that out of me. So when, you know, for for the two of you and being then, you know, the fine art space, theater, performance and all the other extensions that come out of that. What were some of those like early like memories that really served as like a catalyst to say, oh, right. That was the first time I was on stage. Oh, right. That was the first time I, I read something from this particular playwright or, or, or this work. Well, I have one, Leonid. Do you have one? 
Yeah. You, would you go first? You go first. Um, so, so my parents were theater people. Uh, I grew up around, you know, theater professors, playwrights, directors, designers. And uh, we grew up in, I grew up in New England in Western Massachusetts. <clears throat> and when I was um, a teenager, or maybe even before I was a teenager, they took me to Hartford stage to see a production by this legendary avant-garde director named Richard Foreman, who's been in residence like at St. Mark's Church in the Lower East Side for decades, since like the 19, late 60s. And it was a play where there was no realistic plot. There were no real characters. There was a guy dressed like a, a mad scientist playing a professor. And there were strobe lights that would shine in the audience's eyes. You know, there were microphones that, that they would start screaming into. You know, it was such a non-traditional theater experience um, in Hartford, Connecticut. And I had my mind completely blown. I thought, oh my God, I thought I knew what theater was, but there are also visionaries working in the theater who are doing things that are completely destabilizing your expectations, right? Completely surprising your expectations. So I've thought, I, th I still have the program. I think it was 1996 you know, that production, I, I still have the program. And I still think about that when I think about what theater can do to people who are seeing it for like the first time, it can completely change everything that you think is possible. Wow. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, I, I also come from theater people, artists, people. Um, uh, my, my grandmother uh, taught me how to dance and sing and play the piano starting at age two. So I was putting it very, very young. Um, and I would say, I would say two different memories, but um, my, which was one with my first recital, which was at Northwood Presbyterian Church, uh, where my grandmother also preached from time to time. And I got to sing Annie um, tomorrow, where I forgot the rest of the words. I just sang tomorrow the whole time. I was four. And I um, <laughs> And and I got to do um, the alphabet. And I remember there was one point where I got a little nervous and my grandmother came over and she sang it with me. And when people clapped and the reaction and having that experience with her, I, I felt it was something I never felt before. And I couldn't wait until my next recital with her. And then when I was five years old, my mother was in a production called Santa and the Mother Goose Rock at Crampton Auditorium at Howard University, um, created and written and directed by Laverne Reed. Um, and seeing these, it was it was the nursery rhymes with an all black cast, full on musical. Uh, <laughs> it was also shown on uh, WHMM PBS. And seeing my mom become that character, I was I was a flower. I was a flower and I um uh I was a flower and I was one of the kids in the shoe. And so in between I would come out and I couldn't wait to watch my mom perform across the stage. And so the connection with my grandmother and with my mother, it was it was sealed. I also I also wanted to become a doctor at the same time, but uh, <laughs> but, but I knew but I knew I was like I'm going to be in the theater at night and I'm going to be a doctor during the day, and that's what uh, that's what the goal was. I, I love that. I love that. Um, I had this this notion that I was going to be a, a an astronaut and a comic book artist when I was a kid. It's it's just both sides and. You know, even now, like, you know, I was touching on a little bit about what, what the day job for me looks like. I'm sort of living that that balance now. Um, I find a lot of times when you're, you know, chasing something creative and it may be something that isn't um, something that people think there's a lot of, quote unquote, money in, but you're getting a lot of satisfaction and joy and all of that out of it. And you feel like you're being satisfied creatively. I look at the day job almost as the funder. Like, uh, you know, I have a data job. And I talk to people that are very talented and I feel like I glean stuff off of y'all. But, you know, I, I look at it that way, a sort of a dual lifestyle. And I think, again, it, it's a little bit of that preordained thing, like the notion of trying to be an astronaut and a comic artist. Those two things don't go together. But the thinking, I think, around it is, is present now. So. I, I, I got to ask because, uh, you know, I've passed it a few times I, and, and I'm looking forward to going because I'm, you know, uh, you know, I'm in Baltimore. You guys are in D.C. So I want to I want to hear about sort of the, you know, the story of how, like, you know, you 
started working with uh, the Shakespeare Theater Company? Like, what drew you there? What what is the what does the journey look like? How did that unfold? Um, it's, it's always interesting, like from where we started in some of those early moments to where we're getting to where we're at now. Like, so how, how did that come about? Yeah, well, I was originally working. I, I think it was, I was working at Center Stage in Baltimore at the time, and I was on the I was a member of the artistic team there. And there was a big conference in D.C. Uh, and I think the the Sydney Harmon Hall had just been built in 2007 or eight, and this was 2009, I think. So it was like one or two years old. And I remember thinking, oh my God, this, you know, huge glass lobby and these, these beautiful spaces. I think that we we had a, a talk or a panel in the patrons lounge of Sydney Harmon Hall. And I thought that's my dream job if I ever wanted to have a dream job. And then it's a funny story because my predecessor went on that game show called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire uh, at the time, which was very popular at the time, 15 years ago. And uh, and he, he, he was one of those people who answered all the questions and then chose to stop and take his money. So he won like $500,000 on, on the game show, and then he abruptly quit his job at, at STC. So okay. I, 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 here I am thinking, that's my dream job. I'm never going to get that job. That guy is never going to leave. And then all of a sudden, I had the opportunity to apply and luckily enough, uh, get hired. And when you when you look at STC, you see a historic theater. It's been around since 1986. It's, it's toured to the Royal Shakespeare Company. It's toured to the Athens Festival in Greece, I think in a production that you saw, Leonie, as a young person living in DC, a production of the Oedipus plays starring Avery Brooks. Um, so it's a, it's a it's a very it's a company with a very distinguished history and a very respected reputation in America, if not internationally. Um, but it's also a really exciting moment for STC right now because uh, since the pandemic, we've had some of the most successful shows in the history of the company, including last year our production of King Lear, which was the most successful Shakespeare production we've ever done. Wow. Um, so like, it seems like right now we're, our star is kind of rising where we're, we're breaking a number of records that we thought would never be broken. And we're getting subscribers in numbers that we didn't even see pre pandemic, you know, we're, we're kind of taking it back to the nineties, to the golden age of the company when we were doing stuff like the Oedipus plays and going on international tours. So it's a dream job that's turned into like a really exciting incubator of energy and ideas and innovation in the DC arts scene. Thank you. Wow, that's, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> As Drew mentioned, when I was a student at Howard, uh, we were always required to go to the shows at Shakespeare Theater Company um, for credit for our classes. Um, and we'll stop. Rewind. When I was in high school, I'm very much a DMV person. I'm from Montgomery County. I still live in Montgomery County. You know, Montgomery County. Um, I went to New York for a good 20 years. Came back to Montgomery County. Um, so, um, but yeah, uh, in high school, my my teacher, my English teacher, my drama teacher, uh, offered some extra credit to join the shake troop. And um, I took the extra, I was very much about my grades at that point. And so I took the extra credit, ended up really liking it. And there was a program that Shakespeare Theater Company was doing with the class, with us. And so that was like the first time I got to go to what is now um, the Klein Theater and go across the stage and perform. And it was just, it was amazing. It was great. It was, it was the biggest stage I had seen. Um, you know, at that age. Um, and in high school, sorry, in college at Howard University, I saw a production of the Oedipus plays and um, in addition to Avery Brooks, there was Earl Hyman, there was Sabrina LaBeouf, these people that I grew up watching on television that I didn't know were classical actors. And I didn't, I hadn't seen a cast of classical actors that looked like that. It was an all black cast. It was set in Africa. It was beautiful. It came out, everyone looked like royalty when they came out. And I was like, what is this? This is amazing. This is beautiful. And so that always stuck with me 
me um, as as you know, we saw basically we saw every production at Shakespeare Theater Company when I was in college. But that production in particular opened my eyes up uh, to classical theater in a way that I hadn't envisioned it before. Um, so when the opportunity came to work at Shakespeare Theater Company and I saw it, I was like, oh, this is this is great. And my initial position was curating a series of events and experiences around the productions um, and working alongside Drew for many of those. And then I shifted um, having such a uh, passion for EDI and also being certified in it um, and getting involved in that work more and more over the years. When I came in at the position I was in at Shakespeare Theater, Theater Company, I said, look, this is the work. I, I, I like the curating and connecting and doing these things, but I, I really want to get involved in the EDI work in a big way. And so when that opportunity opened up, shifted and we moved into the artistic department and then we blended the positions the position I had and the position that I moved into. So it was really a position that I was able to help curate yeah. and and shift accordingly, um, which has been great. Thank you. And I actually have a, a follow-up. Now I'm going to go off page now a little bit. You know, it's like freestyling. Ja improv improvisational jazz. That's what's happening. Um, <laughs> so so talk a, talk a little bit because I've had um, I've had a few folks on with in, with within the, the sort of Jedi space because I know that Jay is in there sometimes too um, and you know I had a I'll probably tell you about this off mic but I had a very interesting uh, meeting about this about folks not believing that biases exist in in the hiring process very interesting um, and so talk a bit about sort of how perhaps like your your background and sort of your experiences kind of informed your your role now. Like where does that like kind of come in and why was that sort of a focus for where you wanted to go at within your career? Me? Yes, please. Sorry. Yes, yes. Well, start starting off, I was I was the the kid that would go into the toy store as as a little girl in elementary school and would recognize um, that all the dolls look the same and where are the dolls that don't look like this? And I would take the dolls that were in the back and put them in the front and line them up. So there was like, so, and I would, every time I went to the toy store as a little kid, I went to the Barbie section and I would move around the dolls. Um, so, you know, I'm like, there's Asian dolls here. There's Indian dolls here. There's black dolls here. Why aren't they all in the front with the rest of the dolls? So, um, and one of the first books I finished in, in middle school was um, the Angela Davis story. So I, uh, it's always been connected in my art and what I do. And again, that, that shifting part, um, my mother and I did a collaboration with Rick Owens that made a lot of waves in the world of fashion, has been inducted into museums around the world for shifting fashion and what and and um what people call conventional beauty and um so it just connects in because i think because of who i am i think because of who my who my mother is who my grandparents were um and being in a household of artists activists i'll say um so when i stepped into the inside of theater and saw the lack of diversity because honestly I didn't see it as much looking at the stages and what people were presenting sure. and when I stepped inside and saw wow this is this is this is this this th what's what's going on here um I started getting involved in a in a different way even though I had one role I would get involved I would get heavily involved in, okay, what are we doing? What's on our walls? What are we saying? What's in our policies? How are these things lining up? So that was kind of the path I was on for the different theaters that I had worked at. So when I got to Shakespeare Theater Company, it was already something that I had been doing with other with other theater organizations. It was already something I do in my art and um, in the work that I do and, and connecting with communities. So, um, I would say it was, like I said, right when I stepped in, I, I spoke with my supervisor and said, look, if if anything shifts or anything happens, um, I really would like to step into a position that looks like this. Yeah. Um, so 
Yeah. So it was, it was, it was just seeing the necessity and seeing the, the lack that was happening in a lot of places and people's, what was, you know, in talking to leadership and talking to people, they really had um, a sense of, I want to do better, but I don't know how. And so what does that look like? What does that process look like? What do those trainings look like? And being able to tailor those trainings according to the places needs and what's happening with each place, because every place is different. And it is um, across the board. It's it's something that, you know, we you know with We See You White American Theater and other things that have taken place, that it was um, within many theaters, <laughs> if not within all. So um it's just creating those paths and how do we actually make a difference? So I work closely with our director of HR and policy making, and and also being able to say, okay, is this working? Is this process working? We need to have the flexibility to shift and change it according to what is productive. This is an ongoing process. It's 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 continual work. This is continual work. There's been so many systemic blockages that have been put out there that we have to continuously do the learning. We have to continuously do do the training, do the work, shift the policies, shift them again if we need to. Um, so, yeah, and I'm grateful to be at STC at a time where um, Simon Godwin was coming in. We came in around the same time in the company. Our Simon Godwin is our artistic director. And for the first time in, under his leadership, we had a Black playwright produced at Shakespeare Theatre Company. And there were actually two right off. <laughs> so two right off, Brandon Jacob Jenkins and as well as James Baldwin. And that had never happened in the history of the company before. So, um, you know, being charged with curating a James Baldwin festival in my first year at Shakespeare Theatre Company was like, what? <laughs> so when he said that to me. I was like, this is... This is great. This is great. Um, so yeah. So I'm, I'm hearing a bit that uh, STC is helping dreams come true. <laughs> uh, and and, and it, it is this thing where, um, you know, I we, we go back again, as I was touching on a little bit earlier, some of those earlier moments when, you know, in our, you know, like, when was the first time you saw a play? When was the first time you, you were, you saw a stage of this size? And I remember here, you know, there is a, a venue and, you know, they, I remember going there as a kid seeing like maybe some Christmas plaids. Remember, I really enjoyed it as a kid, but it had been years, probably decades, maybe two since going back. And, you know, I saw that they were making some moves to bring in folks that look like me to, to do things and get opportunities and so on and really being very you know, specific in that approach, like we're working in this way, we're curating, we're partnering. I was like, okay, this is great. And um, I, I feel like in this last year, you know, again, it's been like 20 or whatever years that I hadn't been there. In this year, I've gone four times for four different events and unique events and things that are like, wow, okay, you're, you guys are doing this. All right, this is this is unique. And, you know, it's, it's a person that I have that I'm very close with he told me sort of the behind the scenes, he was like, they've gone back to the factory settings. And mm. it's sort of that ongoing work you were touching on, I think, where it can't, especially here, you know, you have some of these these cities, I think, for like Baltimore, and I think there's a lot of cities that have this similar sensibility. If it comes off or it looks like it's fake or face value, you, you, lose, you lose your people, you lose that support. I think the community part is very important. Yeah, and you know, we were talking about the history of Shakespeare Theater company and how if you look at the history of, of Shakespeare theater in the 80s there was a production of Othello starring Avery Brooks that also had the recently departed Andre Brower who's a, one of the great actors of all time star of Homicide Life on the Street and he played Iago in that production and the Amelia was also played by an actor of color Franchelle Stewart Dorn who was a longtime member of the company right and that was a directed by Harold Scott, who directed a famous revival of Raisin in the Sun, you know, a landmark production in the 80s, right? And then again, the Oedipus plays, but it's about doing the work, continuing to do the work, not ever patting yourself on the back and taking credit, right? I mean, I wasn't there, right? I can't take credit for those shows that are part of the history of the company, right? But how do you show up to work? And yeah, to have Lee and A come to me or come to Simon, and for, the, for all of us to be in conversation, 
as well as other stakeholders that are a part of our extended community of colleagues and friends and family saying, looking at the season, look at the composition of the season. Are we being equitable? Are we being inclusive? Right? How can we include people in the telling of Shakespearean stories? Right? Yeah. How can Shakespeare be something that is not defined narrowly, but defined in the most inclusive way possible? And that, you know, that's why I was so proud to work on that production of The Amen Corner by James Baldwin, because that show premiered at Howard University, its world premiere in 1953, and had not been produced by a major professional theater company in DC until 2019 when we did it. Wow. And you look at the play and you think, well, something something's wrong with this picture because this play is every bit as good a play as A Streetcar Named Desire or Cat on a Hudson Roof. It's an amazing play. I don't know if I can curse on this, this program, okay. Rob, but um, <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, you look at the play and you go, holy shit, he was such a talented writer. James Baldwin, not just a essayist, not just a novelist, but he was he wanted to be and he was a great American playwright, period. Right. Yeah. So so I mean, that's that's why I love working at STC is because you can say yes to these things from the past, right? Like the plays of Baldwin or like we're hoping like the plays of Lorraine Hansberry or other writers who have not been as well represented in the history of American theater right on stage. And you can say, yes, that's part of our experience. That's part of the, the the experience of being alive in the 21st century. These plays from the past can tell us profound things about what, what it means to be alive and to be a, a citizen of you know the District of Columbia now. Thank you. Thank you. And um, yeah, it's it's one of those things where, you know, like um, my, my partner's uh, dad, right? He, he was a playwright back in like the 70s mm -hmm. and just was one of those, you know, Black playwright, it's like, man, opportunities aren't out there. I, I'm not one of these two or three people. And, you know, one of the things I said is like, you know, in talking with her, I was like, you have all of the, you have all of his like manuscripts, you have all of his works. It's like, connect with some folks, try to try to go back through it. Cause I was like, original things or things that have been unearthed or just getting those sort of opportunities. It's almost like now is the time. Now is the time to if it's of interest to sort of dive into it because it's been that that like sort of history in these different places where eh, we'll try this for a while and then move on or but it seems to be more of a focus in that area and as a person who i do this i i, I do podcasts and but as a person who who is interested in and in having a broad like layer of interest like i don't just try to only talk to other podcasters, other people in Baltimore or, or other black, I try to talk to a wide swath of people because that's where my interests lie. And I think that there's, you know, people that are going to click and connect and relate to it and feel seen and maybe be inspired by having someone that looks like them on the stage and are the, the people that are writing it and their sensibilities are being represented within the work. Well, and I know Leonette, you know, you used to work at Cleveland Playhouse and we've talked about Karamu House in Cleveland which is like a historic black company going back to the twenties, right? Before the Harlem Renaissance, even it's been continually in operation. And yeah, you look it's the at oldest, the, the oldest professional black theater in the United States. That's right. And, and you say, well, why is the Karamu house, you know, uh, still operating, but not as big as some of these other historically white institutions. And there's a whole history there, right. Of like the fact that these institutions have existed for, hundreds of years in some cases, right? And there have been people like your like your partner's father, right? The playwright, like Ed Bullins, you know, like you can just, Ozzie Davis right now, who's being revived on Broadway. You can just go down the list of these people who are trailblazers, but it's about the work that continues to this day, right? And how can we continue to be part of that work, right? To do that kind of good work that needs to still be done. 100%. So I want to I want to ask this, uh, Drew. Like uh, you know, you touched on a bit, sort of some of the the other names that start popping up. You know, you get Broadway, National Theater. You see, you know, Baldwin, Hansberry, obviously Shakespeare. Um, talk about sort of like how that experience and being involved with productions on both sides of it or multiple sides of it, and how sort of your academic background influences 
how you do your work with STC and how you go about your work as your dramaturg, all of these different things that are out there. But talk about like all of what's baked in to you being the you know, being in the role that you're in. Right. And your, your original question was like, uh, talk about being a nerd, right? <laughs> um, it, it was. Which, thank you. <laughs> which, uh, you know, I'm not I'm proud to be a nerd. I'm proud to be like a bookish uh, person. Like I do. I, I've written two books. You know, my writings appeared in The New York Times. Um, I've written program notes for Lincoln Center and the National Theater and ACT in San Francisco. You know, like uh, I've, I'm, I'm definitely very used to kind of like the behind the scenes part of like supporting other collaborators like a director or a playwright or a group of actors and helping them to tell their story as well as they can tell it you know what i mean yeah. um <clears throat> but that being said like there's also like a whole other part of the job like this where it's about being out in the community being a more public face of the of the company right talking to audience members talking to community members um about the importance of the work that we do so, you know, just like Leonay was describing herself as somebody who's a shifter, right, who has to wear multiple different hats, like, I, I celebrate the part of me that is an introvert and a, a nerd and a bookish person. And I also try to celebrate the part of me that, like, is is more of a public person or a more a more a performer type person, right? And I think everyone who works in the theater um, has those two sides that they're constantly negotiating. There's the part of you that's... Um, performing and then the part of you that's uh, rehearsing, right, or preparing for the next performance. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would say that the fact that I've been able to go work at other places, in some cases, really prestigious companies, you know, like uh, in New York, and in London, or at some of the great regional theaters in this country, it's just a it's just a metric of how important the work is that I'm doing back in DC, because I don't think, you know, I wouldn't have met amazing artists if I didn't work at STC, yeah. who then asked me to go work with them at other places, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I probably wouldn't have gotten hired to work at these other places unless they looked at my resume and said, oh, he works at one of the great, you know, classical theaters in America, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, it's all, it's all connected, right? It's all part and parcel of the same thing. Like I'm enhancing the standing of the theater, but the theater is also very much enhancing my career and who I am and how I'm seen by people. You know, that was a good answer. I feel like when I chop this up and post, it's going to be like, that's part of one of the clips. Mm. <laughs> it's just a bite. So it's a bite sized piece right there. I like it. But, but, but we're also used to, I think in theater, especially and in DC, we have a kind of inferiority complex about New York, right? And how like all the great culture, oh, that's the big theater capital of, of America. And Los Angeles is the great show business capital of America, right? And there's this kind of mindset that great work isn't being made here. Mm right you know right down the street in our own hometown yeah. right but i've worked on shows and then i've gone seen new york versions of the same show or i've even i've even worked on a show that started at stc and then went to london and i was like you know i think it was better in, at, in dc like i think it, something got lost in translation you know and that was one of the things that simon said about amen corner it was like he had he had worked on a production at the National Theater and he, he turned to me and he said, you know, Drew, I think this version is better. Like it's just flat out a world class piece of theater, you know. Yeah. So I'm really proud of the fact that I work at STC. And I think that like, um, yeah, it's just it's just good to celebrate the things that are great that you can you can easily take for granted. Right. Because we don't have a sense of cultural pride in the mid-Atlantic, you know. Uh, commensurate with New York or Los Angeles or these other global capitals. I I, I love that you said that um, because that's in part what I you know aim for in doing this. It's like you know I I say it in a less refined way, but I think it's to get the point across. It's like you go to New York and you say something spicy, someone might punch you in the face. It's like it's it's sort of very similar energy. It's just like put respect on the contributions creatively, artistically, culturally that come out of this region. Um, and also the way that I closed the show out, I was like, whatever it is, it's all around us. You just got to look for it. Sometimes it's hiding in plain sight. And, you know, I, I think it's really important to, you know, sort of give things their flowers while they're there. Like, 
you know, I, you know, here in Baltimore, you'll have people say, oh, I don't, I don't go to West Baltimore. It's like, that's, that's a 10 minute drive from, from East Baltimore. What, why don't you? And, you know, when I go to other cities and, and do interviews and have sort of this work ethic, this sensibility and how I approach what I do, I almost fit in immediately or they're like, you, you, you're like from LA or something, right? Like it's almost right, that thing right. of like, you, you do this professionally and it's like, no, this is an independent project. I'm doing this and I do this in this way. And I, I try to be mindful and respectful of people's time and just do things that aren't quote unquote raggedy. You know, I like to have a certain approach to how I go about things. I've had so many experiences like that where people are like, you live in New York, right? And I'm like, no, actually I don't. I live in DC and you know, you can be a world-class artist living in Washington, DC. I'm not calling myself a world-class artist. I'm just saying, you know, you can carry yourself like a professional because that's what you are. Uh, also, doesn't Baltimore have the best lake trout sandwiches in the world? That's that is true. That is true. They they, they, they are delicious. Some hot sauce um, is the way that I prefer mine's. Less white bread, but yes, it's delicious. Mm -hmm. Well, everyone has their own different way of you know enjoying fine gourmet cuisine. Look, let's not get into food because I become a snob when it comes to food. I, I have chef <laughs> friends here who are afraid to have me in their restaurant. It's like ah, Rob, mm, play it now. So. I got uh, like two more sort of real questions, and um, the next one is for Leonay. Uh, so, having the experience, I see Stomp, I see Drumstruck, I, I see uh, Disney, and just other names like Alicia Keys, Bono, Rihanna. Talk about some of those experiences, like you know, this multi-hyphenate shifter experience. It's, it's a lot there that kind of lead into this advocacy and the work that you're you're doing with STC. Yeah, um, I mean, I've been in the field of entertainment again since I was two years old. I'm not going to say how many years that is, um, because because, but it's good. <laughs> but it's it's been a long time, and coming from a family, you know, my mother is a producer, writer, performer, and uh, my grandfather was best friends with Dizzy Gillespie. So I grew up like spending a lot of time with him and seeing the arts from a lot of different perspectives. And I think also because intentionally when I was a kid, I think uh, my mother, my grandmother exposed me to things like Ebony Fashion Fair on a regular basis, the plays that, um, that I went to all the time running around. I was like that theater kid running around backstage at all the plays. Most of the plays that I saw had all black cast. Um, and so in seeing black playwrights, black cast, going to Howard University, um, seeing the, the work that my grandmother did. She was a published author. She was a classical singer and a pianist who worked with the National Symphony Orchestra. I never felt limited in the arts. So, so, um, it was something in connection to being, and I was in dance and I was in acting classes and I was in voice lessons and I was in piano. So I, I had pieces of all of it and, um, a very eclectic mm. upbringing in the arts. So, um, I just didn't limit myself in the arts. So, um, you know, I was in a professional tap dance company for a very long time. Somebody that worked in connection to Stomp saw that and saw me performing and invited me to um, a private audition. Um, yeah, it's, it's a it's a very interesting story because I didn't want to perform at this particular event. And my mom was like, no, you need to just do it. Anyways, but somebody from Stomp ended up being there. And I so I auditioned. I was like, this looks fun. Even though, I'm in, even though I'm still in college, you know, this looks fun. So I auditioned and I got in. Um, work with Lion King. This looks, they're starting an education division of the Broadway production company where you have to write curricula. You have to learn all the, the dances and the songs and you have to connect in with workshops and you get to travel and curate and and um work on the development of different things so i was with disney theatricals for nine years and it shifted as i was there and got to do really amazing things from from series to uh, developing lion helping to develop um lion king kids and lion king jr and just a lot of different things so i i just if I saw something that I felt could I connected to, or I would, I just went for it because I didn't have those limits because of what I was exposed to. 
Um, and I think that that's something that's really important for me in the next generation and, and everyone, people getting the full story and knowing these things. The course that I teach for our graduate studies program is solely based on um, the Africa Company and the first uh, Black playwright in the United States and this classical troupe of, of actors who were doing Shakespeare amid slavery and risking their lives literally just to perform Shakespeare. People don't know that. They don't know the deep connection that Black artists have to that. And just so I guess I guess it's important for me, just like I saw myself in things growing up and, and in life to try to um, influence those experiences. And because I have been a teaching artist, uh, actor, director, choreographer and and doing EDI trainings and all those things, I can see things from different perspectives, different lenses. And the fact that I'm a part of the artistic team at Shakespeare Theatre Company, the discussions that I'll have with Drew, that Drew and I will have about productions and and with Simon, our artistic director, um, I can look at it from a creative standpoint and also from um, what are we committed to? What are we, what are our, um, you know, we have an anti-racist action plan. How are these things tying in to the commitments that we've made for equitable and inclusive programming? So it's, I think it allows me to have uh, many different viewpoints sure. in the conversation and at the table. Thank you. That's that's great. Um, that is a great, I, I was just going to throw out there, like when I was going through all the research, I just kept seeing like Team Vicious pop up and I was like, all right, I see you out here. <laughs> <laughs> I do my research. I, at least I try. I try to do my research. Um, so the actual last question, I think it fits a little bit better in the closing remarks. So I'm going to move to something that I didn't even tell you guys about. I do rapid fire questions. I always do that with every guest. They can't escape them. They're easy questions. They're fun questions. They're weird questions sometimes. So don't overthink them. Here, here we go. Um <laughs> So I got four of them. Um, and, you know, it's, it's it's a quick fire thing, so don't overthink them. Hmm. All right, so here's the, here's the first one. What is the weirdest way you've heard the word dramaturge pronounced? Um, uh, well, often people say, is it dramaturge or is it dramaturg? So uh, I think that's like the, the number one is like dramaturge yeah. is the wrong way of saying it. And dramaturg it wrong all day then. <laughs> <laughs> but but the weird thing is that dramaturgy is the right way of saying dramaturgy, which is a reference to, you know, the dramatic structure of a play. So I, there's also um, you know, that show uh called um Smash that was on NBC that was okay. about like a Broadway show. Yeah. There was one episode of that called The Dramaturg, you know. And there was, and also when um, Succession ended, there was an interview with one of the stars where he talked about dramaturgically, you know, I didn't have a problem with this character dying in episode four or five, right? Yeah, so every uh, so often, it's a word that enters the the discourse, and people yeah. who are not theater people are like, "What the heck is that?" You know, and theater people are like, "Yes, yes, we know. It's a th it's a it's a whole thing, right?" So it's more about the context in which the word dramaturg or dramaturgy comes up. Than yep. it is about pronunciation but it's also a word that i mean my last name is lichtenberg so yep. the fact like lichtenberg dramaturg and my first name is drew drumaturgy drumaturg i've heard all i've heard all of those rob you know I, I like all of those and uh jeremy strong is who you're referring to i remember yes. that became a a bit because it's like oh this sounds so pretentious i was like it's actually a word though let, it's let actually not it's not pretentious at all it's just completely germane to the context of what he's talking about. He's like saying, he was like, as a piece of storytelling, it made sense to me. That's all he was saying. But people right. were, people online reacted like he was being the most pretentious actor ever, you know? But but I want to say to all those people online, welcome to like literally every rehearsal room conversation about the plays, you know, storytelling. Because that's just the way actors and theater people talk. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's that's great oh, that's great um i i threw that one in there especially for you drew <laughs> all right um so so here's here's the actual real three one uh so um real quick what is if, if you were to summarize it in a few words you know um what is your the favorite thing about your work the favorite thing about what you do like however you like sort of summarize it could be oriented to a specific role or however but 
you know, what is the favorite thing about what you do? I like talking to people who just make the day more interesting. I enjoy that. I like having these sorts of conversations. I learn something. I'm always able to learn something. That is a byproduct of doing this. But for you, what is like the favorite thing about your sort of day-to-day sort of your role? I mean, I like I like being able to read something usually once a day. And it could be written 2,000 years ago by a Greek playwright. It could be written 400 years ago. It could be written yesterday. And it makes me cry. It makes me gasp with wonder. It makes me laugh. It makes me appreciate being alive on this planet. And I get to do that at my day job. And that is such a gift and a privilege and an honor. Um. I would say connection. I get to connect with every department in different ways. So if it's um, coming up with um, some digital content with the marketing department and or working with production on coming up with a cool way to do a stage reading featuring students from Howard University, or if it's connecting with the learning department or, you know, I, I, I connect with each department and people within the company in different ways and as well as the community. So if it's connecting with the an organization that has never been to the theater before or um, young people in a different way or, you know, it's just, I think, connection because in connection, I learn more, I grow as a person and I'm also able to um, work on, consistently work on, on my um skills and in connecting with people and listening and hearing and being able to support what their needs are as well. Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, So this one, um, you hear about superstitions. You know, uh, I hear about a lot of different superstitions. Uh, You hear about, you know, you know, they'll say wriggling or whatever. But I have a superstition that I try to utilize in doing this podcast because I had an experience where I couldn't get out introductions, hence I did my introduction before we actually got into the pod because I fumble my introductions all the time. So now just as a part of practice, I don't read my introductions beforehand because it would just screw up my whole flow. That's now just a thing that sits there. And I always like wear my shirt backwards before a podcast. It's just something about it. it's a good luck thing. I don't know. Um, do you have any superstitions? Do you have any superstitions that you uh, apply and uh, maybe it intersects with your day job or any other superstitions that you regularly engage in? Not really. I mean, I was like that kid that would that would be the one to sleep over doing the Hail Marys and getting on everybody's nerves and, and or Candyman. And um, <laughs> um, I was like, it's all make-believe. <laughs> like, calm down. Everybody would get all, you know, in a tiff about that. But, uh, but, uh, yeah, so no, not, not really. I, tr- I mean, you know, we're in the world of theater. I will say this, of course, I always say break a leg. You know, there are those, that's standard. I don't feel like that's even like when you say superstition, I'm like, that's not a superstition. It's just standard. Like, it's just, that's just what you do. You say, yeah. if we're working on a, a production of Macbeth and we're in the theater, we say the <laughs> Scottish play. Like, that's just, it's just what you do. I don't know if I'll say like, I believe in it. It's just what I, it's just what I do. Yeah. You, you don't, don't say, know. you don't say good luck. You say break a leg. Exactly. And you don't say Macbeth. You say, the Scottish play, but you know, I was in Berlin in the spring, and they had never. They were they were so confused when I told them about Macbeth having a superstition attached to it. They were like, "What are you talking about? The Scottish play? What does that mean?" You know, they it could not. They could not. They they were really amazed. So those are not always transferable. Those superstitions. I also think that in theater, um, you form communities really quickly in sure. a creative process. So people are very adaptable and they will pick up each other's language, yeah. you know? So one time I was working with someone who knew sign and he would say, he would make this hand knocking gesture to say yes, you know? Yeah. And that, I find myself doing that years <laughs> later. You know what I mean? You Or like when I was working in England, when you say goodbye to someone, you say, cheers, you know, cheers. But then Simon, you know, he he says like he calls people darling. He's like a different kind of English person who calls people darling. Hello, darling. You know, so like there's a kind of um, you pick up accents, you pick up sayings, you pick up phrases, you know, and that's one of the kind of fun little things about the job, I guess, to answer your previous question that like 
it, it becomes a part of your personality in a, in a strange way, you know, which is fun. Thank you. Um, and I, I think in, in listening to a few of those things, especially the, the Macbeth thing, I, I'm just here, uh, learning about that. I was watching uh, Toast of London and I just now just giggle about it because it's like, oh, yeah, you're going to do Macbeth. And it's like, oh, yeah, Patrick Stewart's hair fell out when he was doing Macbeth. It's like, you don't want that happening to you. And it's just all of the superstitious stuff is just in that episode. And it's just really funny. But also not to be the you know, the, the guy who rains on everyone's parade, but, you know, Macbeth is a very violent play with a lot of sword fights in it. And it's also been performed more often than most other plays. So if somebody's going to get stabbed, the odds are it's going to be in a production of Macbeth, you know, like th there's a reason that a superstition is attached to that play, not because it's satanic or devilish, but because more things can go wrong in the violent plays that require special, like Charlton Heston had his groin catch fire performing in a production of Macbeth, you know? But if there's a play without a fire effect, maybe your groin doesn't catch fire. So, so some of these things are built up over the years, you know, into a superstition when there's a different, more logical, historical explanation for them. That's great. So this is the last one, and then we'll close out. Um, and, and I'm always I'm always curious about the the sort of habits um, that uh, creative folks have. Um, so I, I, I just got to ask, you know, you you, you touched on um, lake trout a little bit earlier, Drew. So I got to ask, what is your favorite meal? Ooh, yeah, my favorite meal. Yeah, um, I like your expression there. <laughs> well, it's funny because my wife uh, uh, is also in the theater, and somebody asked her this question. And, and I loved her answer so much that I I, I would say the same thing. Uh, she was asked to describe her favorite, what kind of food she would be if she were to be a food. Um, and, I, and she said a bowl of noodles, you know, because it's something that is intercultural, you know, like they originated in, in the East, in, in China, in Asia, and they came to Italy, right? And like, you can go to Cincinnati and get chili on top of noodles. You know what I mean? Like, it's a kind of a food that can can be a lot of different types of things, but it's always very nourishing um, to just have a hot bowl of noodles or pasta with whatever kinds of seasonings or toppings, right? So like I've often had like long dark nights of the soul where a, a simple chicken noodle soup or a bowl of ramen or a spaghetti and meatballs has served as a kind of a restoration of my spirit. So I'd have to go with that. So some droodles. What, type, what type of noodles, Drew? What type of noodle are you? I'm curious. Like, you know, there's so many different types. Um, <clears throat> I'm probably like, I, I would probably today, I would probably say that I am a kind of a hand pulled knife cut noodle. You know, the kind with all the funny little like bow ties on the side, but wide and flat and long. Ah, know, is it like a rice? Is Are you grain? No, it's a it's a gluten it's a glutinous noodle, but it's the kind that has a lot of like it's really good at absorbing like Sichuan peppercorns and tofu and like and like it has like know. a little it has like a little bit of spice on it, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's but the texture of it is buttery and light and kind of gossamery, wow. you know. So that's I mean that's that I will swear by some knife cut noodles. You should you should there's a place called Panda Gourmet in D.C. that has the most amazing knife cut noodles. Um, right. so nice, that's my, nice, that's my local, uh, that's my local, buttery. <laughs> not buttery, right. not buttery, but more like kind of oh. oily, oily and spicy and, you know, oily and spicy. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> are you, are you laughing Lena? Because I'm, I'm doing the wife guy thing of saying what Rebecca said. No, no. <laughs> well, <laughs> that we always tease about that question in general. I was just like, that is such a tough question. Like what food would you be? Like. <laughs> But but she had a great way of explaining it because when you first say noodle, it's like you're, wait, you're a noodle? How could you not love you, you how could of, you yeah? Noodles are like, but <laughs> the explanation comes through. It's like, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Great. Is there a Baltimore, <laughs> is there like a Baltimore noodle delicacy that I'm forgetting about? Um, not really, right? Not, not really. Um, there's a few places, but not really. You know, we got the, 
the ramen place that's the closest we got um toki which was you know dc place now it's up here so we you know we kind of yeah. got from yeah but that's about yeah. it yeah i'm trying yeah there's not yeah exactly it's not really a noodly kind of town baltimore no we know? don't do the things no no <laughs> seafood seafood it's yeah it's a crab it's a crab town baltimore yes, for yes. sure for sure yes <laughs> um <laughs> Well, Drew changed the question. Um, <laughs> it's like, what food are you or what's your favorite That's meal? That's also my favorite um, meal. That's also my favorite meal. Thank you. Okay. 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 Um, oh, gosh. I am such a food person that, like, this is difficult because I have so many different favorite meals. Like, I can't, I feel like I'm being disrespectful to one if I pick another. Like, it's just, they wouldn't like it. Um, uh, I like healthy things. That's what I'll say. Like, I like, I like to know that I'm eating something that is um, nourishing to my health and and to my taste buds at the same time that is like it feels it feels so good i cook with a lot of turmeric um you know the anti-inflammatory uh seasonings i'm that person that people come to it was funny because in the same day at shakespeare theater company one co-worker came and said i took your advice i got a second opinion on the concern that I had on a health concern and this and then it's happening. And I was like, yeah, you got to get the magnesium oil and you got to do this and you got to eat this and do that. And then the next person came and said, oh my gosh, you know, thank you for telling me about those special cough drops with the ginger. So I'm that person. I like to, I like to discover new foods and things that I, then I like to, I like to read about them. If I eat, if I eat meat or something of that sort, I want to know its whole life story. I want to know where it was raised, how it came up, who its parents were. Um, so I'm just, I would say, uh, my favorite meal is 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 a is a conscious, <laughs> conscious meal. Mm. I like that answer. Uh, yeah. I'm getting a kind of like a, a vegan Georgia <laughs> Avenue kind of vibe now, Leone, from this answer, you know. I know, I know, but I, I was vegan for like almost 20 years and then I stopped. And and so, but but I'm now I'm just very conscious with like where anything I have comes from. Yeah, no, and there's a long yeah. history, there's a long proud history of veganism in, in DC for sure. Yeah, for sure. Oh yes, yes. I do love going to New Vegan. New that's vegan, what, I, that's what is, I'm which, saying. That's what I'm saying. Yep, yeah, that that is a spot. You know, when when people come to town and they say they're vegetarian, anything like that, I'm like, I'm like, even if they're not, I know it's a spot that everybody will like something. Um, and the garlic kale is everything for me. I love I love the garlic kale at New Vegan. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. That's great. Um, so this is the, the last part. This is sort of the close out here. Um. One, I want to thank both of you for for coming on and spending some time. It's been a, been a, been a lot of fun uh, to connect and chat. And um, and two, um, I want to give you, you know, one, the, the sort of space to share any of the social media, website, all of that stuff. And anything that's coming up in the next few months that you just want to detail. It's like the shameless plug uh, portion of the podcast. So floor is yours. It's going to cascade out into the back. I'm going to fade to black. I'm just going to mute the thing. <laughs> Well, coming up, coming up at the Shakespeare Theater, As You Like It is still running. This is a runaway hit show featuring the music of the Beatles. It's already extended twice. Um, so that's running into January in the new year. It's a fabulous show. And then after that, a much anticipated production of the Lehman Trilogy, the story of the Lehman Brothers, who built one of the greatest empires economically and financially in American history. Um, and uh, Tony Award winning play for best play uh and then after that another blockbuster show the scottish play macbeth starring rafe fines and indira varma two of the greatest classical actors in the world and that production is only going to be seen in washington dc in america not in new york not in la nowhere else um and then finally we're doing a production of the magic flute by the tony award-winning macarthur fellowship receiving director mary Zimmerman. And that's going to be a production that kind of like a storybook is going to open up and the entire play, the entire opera by Mozart is going to come out of this miniature little matchbox. 
you know, so like I'm expecting that show. No one's talking about it yet, but people's minds are going to be completely blown by that production. It's going to be the magic flute like you've never heard or seen it before. So we have a really, really exciting season coming up at STC. Yes, yes. And 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 Drew and I often collaborate on other experiences as well. We're going to be doing a staged reading of In the Blood by Susan Laurie Parks, featuring students from Howard University as well as alum from Howard University. And throughout that process, um, the students work with Drew and uh, Dr. Sarika Colbert, who is also part of our artistic team and, and a dramaturg as well. And um, so they go on a journey of diving into the world of dramaturgy and then they shift into doing a staged reading. This is our third year um, connecting with students from Howard University in that vein. Um, and we also have an audition workshop connecting with many different theaters in the area. We bring them together at Shakespeare Theater Company. That's going to be in February during Black History Month. Um, and we're working with Studio, Imagination Stage, Olney, um, Arena. So it's it's great for us to come together and connect with the next generation of actors from local HBCUs and um, have that workshop in that way, as well as with um, Florida Repertory Theater. So yes, and you can follow us at Shakespeare in DC on Instagram. We're also on the Facebook uh, Shakespeare Theater Company and uh, shakespeare-theatercompany.org as well. And there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Dr. Drew Lichtenberg and Leonade Noble for coming on to the podcast and spending some time and sharing a bit about the Shakespeare Theatre Company. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art, culture and community in and around your neck of the woods. You just got to look for it. Music.